Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 6 how God was giving mankind space to repent of 120 years and how God gave Tom Cantor's young Ethiopian friend, Temeskin, time to repent before death came for him in the form of cancer. And we hope you're enjoying these tremendous Bible studies, this great expository teaching that we're getting from Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. And we do appreciate your listenership, and we hope that you'll go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, to take advantage of some of our free resources or to go to our bookstore that's there. But we also want to make an invitation to you for 2015 to become one of our monthly supporters of Friendship with God so we can continue broadcasting on this station in your city, as well as providing the messages for free for you, the listener, on iTunes.com, SermonAudio.com, and also on our main website, FriendshipWithGod.org. All there for free listening and free download, but it's there with your support, and we need you to become a monthly supporter if you can. You can call us at 800 247 3051, and we can set you up for that. That's 800-247-3051, and that'll help continue Friendship with God airing on this station in your city and also available by podcast and MP3 download. Again, it's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051 to support Friendship with God this year in 2015 with a monthly donation of any amount. Or you can donate one time online at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God. Let's start, begin in prayer. Father, thank you so much for being our teaching Father, our instructing Father, our guiding Father. And this morning, Lord, we present ourselves to you as your students that want to be taught and instructed and guided. So, lead us, O thou great Jehovah, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you turn in... uh, Genesis chapter 6, continuing this verses here, it's a marvelous passage. Uh, Genesis 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. They were fair, took them wives of all that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, also that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and bare children to them. Same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. God saw the wickedness of man who was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So last week, we've been studying the amazing statement that we see here in verse 3, which is that God's Spirit strives with man. And that's what we've done. We've looked at that word strive, dun, which means to umpire, to referee. And we looked at it very carefully and we saw how God, the great umpire, works through our conscious, but he's overruling our opinions and calling everything like it should be called. We say not so bad, he says sin, guilty. We've seen that this striving starts when people are born, when we're born at birth. We saw that from John 1, 9, that striving was called a light. That was a true light that lights every man that comes into the world. We looked at how this wonderful striver 
who is the Spirit of Christ, God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and we saw how He is the great guide. He guides us into all truth. He guided us to the Lord Jesus Christ. He guided us to the cross. He guided us to see the wounds and the, and the bruises and the stripes of the Lord. And He guided us to understand that those wounds were for our transgressions, those bruises for our, our iniquities, those stripes were for our healings. He guided us into all this understanding. And He guided us to understand that at that cross was a particular place where our sins were paid for. He guided us to understand that at that cross was a place where our enemy, the devil, was destroyed. And he guides us, and he guided us to hear the call of the Lord Jesus Christ and to realize that he was speaking to us when he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when we knew that the Lord Jesus Christ was inviting us personally, he then guided us to feel an urgency to make that correct decision immediately. That it was really a matter, as it says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, it was a matter of behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He guided us to see all these things. He guided us to know that if we would even think of turning back and deciding not to accept that invitation. Then he guided us to understand what we would be turning back to. As it says in Hebrews 10, 38 to 30, man, if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure of him, but we are not of them. He guided us to understand that we are not of them that turn back unto perdition. He guided us to understand that the turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ was to turn to perdition. And he guided us to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ was asking us and is asking us to yield our members to him, to yield our feet to him, to yield our heart to him, our hands, our ears, our eyes, our head, our mouth. He guides us to understand that he wants to walk through our feet to the lost, to see through our eyes the desperate condition of the lost, to love the lost through our hearts, to help the lost through our hands, to hear what the lost are saying in particular, and then he wants to use our mind to devise through our heads for the lost just the right words so that they come out and they amaze us when they come out like apples of gold in pictures of silver. And then through our mouths, he wants to use those to speak his word that will not return unto him void, but will prosper for where he sends it. We saw all that as we considered the Spirit of God striving with man. But now, let's consider one very important word in that verse, in verse 3, and that is the word not. It says, my spirit shall not always strive. So we've talked about the amazing part that God does strive with man, God's spirit does strive with man, but here this opens up a whole new realm of understanding for us. It is a limiting verse when it says that. It's a limiting word. The word not teaches us that the spirit of God and his striving has a limit, has a limit to it. Most people just live their lives as if they have no end. It's amazing. And they, they have trouble in their lives. 
and they just grit their teeth and the stiff upper lip, and I'll get through it. You know? It's just like uh, Senator Specter, who died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma on October 14th. But in 2005, when his cancer came back, he said, I have beaten a brain tumor, bypass heart surgery, and many tough political opponents, and I'm going to beat this too. And that's how most people look at life and problems. The problems that come up, there are opponents to be beaten. But God uses troubles, and he uses problems to get our attention and to bring us back to this truth of the limit, the limitation of life. It says in Job 5, 7 through 8, Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause. What he's saying there, God allows these troubles to come into our life. Sparks, one right after the other, all over. But, as Job said, what did they cause for him? To seek the Lord, to seek God, and to commit his cause to him. And that's what God wants. And if a man, all through his life, remains obstinate, remains resistant, then God's mercy has a limit, and he won't strive with man anymore. Death is a tragedy. It's a tragedy, death. I mean, no one's really ready for death. People say, you know, I'm, I'm ready to die. No one's really ready. Everything living resists death. Horses don't want to die. And, and when someone dies, the first question we ask, well, well, how old was he? You know, why do we ask that question? How old was he? Because we have a calculator going on in our minds. And we think to ourselves, well, okay, that's about the time, he, you know. Because on August 19th, 2009, it was interesting. The Center for Disease Control made a press release in 2009. And they said that in three years' time, since 2006 to 2009, the life expectancy for men was, was 75.3 years, and women was 80.4. So the combined was 77.9 years. And the press release was to announce that in 2006, three years earlier, it was 77.7. So they'd been so successful in their medical advances that in three years, everybody's living 72 days longer. <laughs> and I'm sure that in, in 2009 that you experienced that great relief <laughs> as you read that press release that, to know that you'll have 72 days longer to live now because of all the work and great cost. But man's life has a limit and a line has been drawn in the sand where for each of us, we don't know what that is, but in this particular case, they knew because God drew that line and he said, the time you have to reach that line is 120 years. And then it says in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed, it's appointed unto men once to die. After that, the judgment. That's the line. So what purpose did God have for telling Noah how many days there would be? There would be just 120 years. Why did God announce that? Because for God, time represents opportunity. Time represents opportunity. It's an opportunity for man to open the door of God's grace. Big sign over this door, God's grace. But man has to take the handle and open it. And it's an opportunity God wanted man to know that his time was coming to a close and he'd have to repent. This is particularly emphasized in Revelation 2.20 where it speaks about Jezebel and it says like this, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, to the church he was addressing, 
Because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And here's the verse. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Very, very interesting. Space to repent is what it's called there, time. Time or opportunity. He said, I gave her space to repent. So the time or the opportunity was a gift from God. It was a gift from God. And it, no matter how much time is given, everybody says it's not enough. But God says it's a space. It's a space for a purpose. It's a space to repent. And that was the reason he told Noah that they had 120 years. Because as far as Noah's concerned, he had two jobs to focus on. One, build the ark. you got to get it done. So don't start with the tomorrow, uh, I'll do it. Do it today. Second, preach. Noah was a preacher. Preach to persuade the people to repent and get in the ark. And those of the 120 years was not just a time for them to, okay, now you only got 120 years to enjoy this world, so you better enjoy it. You only live once. Do everything you're going to do before you die or exist. No, no, no. It was a time for a purpose to get things done. You know, about eight years ago, I met Temeskin, and uh, Temeskin was an Ethiopian boy that lived in a village less than about 100 miles from where our compound is in Ethiopia, about two and a half hours outside of Addis Ababa. Temeskin lived in a very typical subsistence farming type of village with his father and his mother and his brothers and his sisters. And some of these villages or cities are just all Muslim, like the one we are located in is all Muslim. And some villages are Orthodox Christian and some villages are animist. And the particular village that Temeskin lived in was an animist village. That means that they worshipped rocks and snakes and trees, and they had witch doctors. As a matter of fact, Temeskin's uncle was the witch doctor for the village he lived in. So what happens in Ethiopia is that from September to February is a very long, dry season. It's very, very dry. That's why I'm wearing glasses now, because it's so dry. The dust in East Africa, especially, it just blows through. And when you fly over it, you don't see land, you just see yellow. And so it just, it, you know, one day I was wearing my contacts, and it's just so much dust. And not being smart enough to take the bottle of water and put it in the eye, I rubbed it and scratched things, so I don't wear contacts anymore anyway. But there's a very short um, very short but very needful rainy season. Uh, that uh, well, there's actually, there's actually a real short one, kind of a mild one between March and April. You get a little bit of rain, but then the real one comes from June to August, and it rains. You can't believe how much rain comes down. It's unbelievable. Eighty inches falls in those short months, and in some years. There's not much rain. Sometimes it happens in the rainy season. And then you have the drought, then you have the famine, then you have the starvation, which adds to the mortality of the already existing diseases that are there, of malaria and tuberculosis and HIV. Well, during the early parts of the, of the 2000s, the first, there was drought in Ethiopia. I'm sure you all remember. 
and, and there was death, and, and lots of death. And there's just lots of death. The average age of people in our city is 42. We'll return with Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program here and our Bible study in just a moment. Now, if you're enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching on Friendship with God as you're driving, listening at home, or downloading and listening to these messages on the go, we would like to encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program so we can continue broadcasting on radio stations as well as providing free listening and free download through our websites at friendshipwithgod.org, iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast, and through sermonaudio.com. So please support the Friendship with God radio program by donating today. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Again, you can call us now or after the program, but support this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God, 800 247 3051. Support us online at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and supporting Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. We've been studying the amazing statement that we see here in verse 3, which is that God's Spirit strives with man. And that's what we've done. We've looked at that word strive, dun, which means to umpire, to referee. And that's how most people look at life. And problems. These problems that come up, there are opponents to be beaten. But God uses troubles and He uses problems to get our attention and to bring us back to this truth of the limit, the limitation of life. During the early parts of the of the 2000s, first there was drought in Ethiopia. I'm sure you all remember. And, and there was death, and, and lots of death. And there's just lots of death. The average age of people in our city is 42. That's how old they live, till they're 42. Because all these things, starvation and disease. Well, uh, death was sweeping through Temeskin's village that time. And many died in his village. And Temeskin watched his father die. And then he watched all of his brothers And all of his sisters die, except for one sister, from the starvation and the disease. And after each death, it was always the same. The body would be wrapped in whatever rags they could come up with and immediately buried. And then they start the 30 days of mourning. They'll block the streets, and and you have to drive carefully because they'll be wailing for 30 days, standing and crying for hours. So who's left? So Temeskin, his mother and his sister. Those are the only ones who survived. And they watched death claim one after the other in their village. And then also in that area, in Temeskin village, there's the hyenas at night. They make a lot of noise. And so every night, Temeskin and his mother and everybody, his sisters, retreat into their little mud hut, and they listen to the howls. And, and, and so one day, what happened was that there was a 24-year-old woman in a hut next to them, one of the huts, and she was dying, all like the rest. And she, she was dying like his father and the mother, and everybody's dying. So what happened? Okay, let me explain a little bit about how, people, how women die in, in Ethiopia. Childbirth in Ethiopia is very dangerous. It's very dangerous, childbirth. In the U.S., the chance of dying in childbirth or from complications in pregnancy is about 1 in 3,500. In Ethiopia, it's 1 in 7. So it's very, very dangerous. And on several occasions, 
in our, in our uh, city in Ethiopia, they have a government hospital, and, and on several occasions I've, I've gone through that, that hospital there to arrange for visitors to have tours, and, and we always go to the maternity ward there in the hospital, and we see women in labor. Now, women uh, work very, very hard in Ethiopia, and the way their hips form from all the heavy burdens and so forth is that one of the reasons why there's so much mortality in childbirth and other reasons. And so what happens is that um, those women, you see them in labor, and you know that one out of seven of them will have that unwashed wool blanket pulled over their face, and, and they'll, they'll die in the childbirth. But every time I've been to the maternity ward, I've been amazed, because when you stand there in the ward, you can hear a pin drop on the floor. It's absolutely silent. There's not a sound. Women, they don't make any sound. And that's an Ethiopian tradition. It's a tradition that all the way to death, women will die in hard labor and not make a sound. It's just amazing. So it's very, very, very unusual for a a woman to cry out. And that's the usual way that, that women die in Ethiopia. They don't cry but this, this, on this particular day, when this 24-year-old woman was dying there in, in Temeskin's village, it was different because she broke with traditions in more ways than one, and somehow she had heard about the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So she breaks with tradition, and she cries out, and when she cries out, she cries out to Jesus, and she said, Oh, Jesus, help me, please help me. She does that. And he did. And he healed her. And she lived. And everyone saw that. And everyone was amazed at what happened. And uh, no one knew anything about Jesus in this village. They were not an Orthodox Christian village. They weren't Christians. They were animists. But Temeskin and his mother and his sister, they wanted to know more about who was this Jesus that the woman was crying out to who, who had lived, and she'd come right on the brink of death. And they didn't know who he was, and they couldn't read. No one can read in the village. No one can read or write. And they, couldn't go, they didn't go to school because, that's, because work had to be done. I've seen two-year-old kids with a stick herding a couple of goats. That's the way it is there. They don't go to school. So how were Temeskin and his family going to find out who this Jesus was? How are they going to learn to do what she did? And they wanted to know. Well, what happened was that one day, a little lady came to their village, and she was from another village close by that was an Orthodox village with a little, little Orthodox church and just a tinned roof building with the mud walls and no electricity, no musical instruments, but they were known for their singing. They sang a lot. And she had come from that church, and now she was talking to people about Jesus. And so Temeskin at this time was about 11 years old. And he and his mom and, and Kibu, the, his uh, 18-year-old sister, they invited the woman to come into their mud hut. So she sits there, and you see... Now, now this woman who came, she couldn't read or write either. And so... Uh, but she could tell the stories of Jesus. See, that's what she could do, and that's what she did. And she had a book. But the book had no words in it. 
really couldn't read them. But, but, but the book had pictures. It was a picture book. And it was all the drawing, it was drawings and pictures of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so using that book, she told the old story of Jesus and wrote, and God wrote on their hearts every word, and she told them the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. And what happened? Those three, Tomask and his mother and sister, they believed that day. So the hut of death is turned into a hut of life because they trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, their Savior and God. Another wonderful Bible study from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. And if you're enjoying this Bible teaching, Old Testament teaching radio program, we want to encourage you to support it with a donation, one time, online at friendshipwithgod.org. But if you'd like to be one of our monthly supporters, you can call us at 800-247-3051. You can also call us with a one-time donation as well, too, but call us directly at 800-247-3051. And for any donation of $100 or more, we will send you Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's over 2,200 pages with over 600 pages of Bible helps. has a genuine lambskin leather cover and gold lettering. It's got over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It has over 20 full-color custom maps and timelines. It's got a full 1,500-word Bible concordance. It's got a prophecy and fulfillment section, names of the Messiah section, the life of Joseph study section, and so many other amazing Bible helps. It's yours for a donation of $100. We'll be shipping this in January. You can order it today, pre-order it. For a donation of $100 or more, we'll send it to you. Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God study Bible. Call us, 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051 or go online to friendshipwithgod.org for more information.